All right, Liz Wheeler Show, episode 447, take one. New York City was totally crazy this weekend. I was there with my husband for a wedding of a very dear friend. And of all the weekends, right, of all the weekends, there were 10,000 pro-terrorist protesters in Times Square. We were right in the thick of, I mean, we, we avoided it. We avoided it, but it was right there. And you can see just how nutty this is. I want to show this video of what happened in Times Square. 10,000 people who are sympathetic to terrorists who waged one of the most horrific terror attacks ever on Israel. These people are sympathetic to the terrorists and they were just like filling Times Square. Look at this. I don't even know if this video does it full justice because if you had a zoomed out view, like a chopper view or a drone view, it was streets and streets and streets of people and they were marching through Times Square in, in all the way towards the Israeli embassy. Totally nuts. Totally nuts. And, and by the way, all of this, all of this, all of these calls for protecting Palestinians, reject the occupiers. This is an open air prison. You know what? The talking point over the weekend was a little ironic that nobody on the left pointed out that the talking point from the left was, oh, Israel cut off electricity and cut off water to the Palestinians. This is inhumane. These are civilians. These people are going to die. And nobody on the left and none of these quote unquote pro-Palestinian protesters, they claim that they care about Palestinian lives, said, well, Israel would turn the electricity back on and turn the water back on if Hamas released the 150 hostages that they're holding in Gaza right now. That's all it would take. And Israel would turn the water and the power back on. By the way, the other part of the narrative, not to get too technical here, Israel surprised like less than 10% of both water and power. So it's not like Israel was has the sole power over the light switch in Gaza. But all, all these protesters would have had to do is say, well, why don't you release these babies and children and women and elderly and family that you're holding hostage? And then you will, it will not be a humanitarian crisis. But you'll notice that none of these crazies, none of these terrorizers, these terrorist sympathizers said anything of the kind. So it did spark an interesting conversation among, well, among friends at the wedding, aren't we the fun bunch talking about terrorism at a wedding? Um, about how, for the first time here in our country, it's been really jarring to see all of, not just the anti-Semitism, but all of the outright sympathy for terrorism from these ostensibly Muslim protesters around the country. And thank God, the vast majority of these protests here in the United States were peaceful. I mean, in France, there was um, a terrorist that stabbed a teacher to that death, killed a teacher, murdered a teacher. They had to evacuate. Uh, they had to evacuate several landmarks in France um, because Hamas had called on Muslims around the world to commit acts of jihad for this day of rage. But the question of, do you feel safe in the United States of America? Do you feel safe in your city anymore? Came up. And the answer to that is a lot of people said, no, this is not just fringe freakos on college campuses. This is not just some random racist person who happens to have a, a bigger megaphone than he should because he's online. Like, this is a lot of people. Where do these people come from? I mean, 10,000 people in New York City alone. And so what I want to do today on the show is I want to talk about how this did happen. Not just the rhetorical, oh my goodness, we all feel kind of kind of jarred by this. Um, this is clearly hypocritical. This is clearly wrong. But actually, practically, how did this happen and how can we turn this around? Because this is a threat to our country to have this large of a number of people be sympathetic to acts of murder as gruesome murder, rape and decapitation 
as a political as a political weapon. So I'd like to offer five reasons, and these are reasons that can all be addressed politically in our country, where all these terrorist sympathizers came from. Um, so these are the five things we're going to discuss, and we'll get into each one in more detail. But it obviously stems from unrestricted immigration in our country. Unrestricted immigration has been happening for about the last 70 years. A lot of people aren't super familiar with the history of what changed in our immigration law that allowed the enormous numbers of immigrants to our country. And even Republicans, up until maybe a couple of years ago, have been pretty open to immigration as long as it's legal immigration. In fact, this is something that I've somewhat changed my mind on, or I can see the point for very restricted immigration now. Because I used to think, oh, you know, I don't really agree with the zero immigration people. I think we should just have more controlled immigration, legal immigration. We should stop illegal immigration. But unrestricted immigration has led to a demographic change in the politics in our country. And I want to talk about that because there is something we can do about that. Uh, the second thing that has allowed all these terror sympathizers in our country is we no longer require any kind of assimilation from people who were born in a foreign country and want to settle in the United States per, uh, permanently. There's, there's, there's no indoctrination. There's, there's no expectation that you will become an American. And so our culture has become what the left would call multicultural, but multicultural is, is not a workable thing when you have values underpinning, especially religious values underpinning your lifestyle and your worldview that are at exact odds with each other, which obviously these terrorists have uh, views very much at odds with us. We also have, the third thing is leftist brainwashing has enabled many of these not just individuals, but these individuals to form activist groups and organizations that propagate this kind of terror sympathy. And then, of course, we also have the left spending the past decade, at least, calling us racist, calling us bigots, calling us anti-Semitic. Essentially, they're the boy who cried wolf. And the result of that, we'll get into in a little while. And then, of course, this is the, this is the aspect that a lot of people don't talk about, and we're going to talk about this more a little bit later, is prisoner swaps. Prisoner swaps almost never work out well for the good guy. And we're going to talk about how that's impacted some of the most significant and tragic um, well, terror attacks in the past couple of years. We're going to talk about all of this because we really do need to address this problem. This isn't something that we should just ignore as the weekend ends, as this day of rage fades. We have a serious problem in our country, and it behooves us to understand why we have it so that we can take care of it before it becomes something that's going to cause harm in our nation. So let's start with unrestricted immigration. We're going to get to that in just a second. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to The First TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on The First TV. Watch The First on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. America is on trial. Join me, Josh Hammer, as we examine the presidential election through the only lens that truly matters, the legal proceedings of Donald Trump and the Biden crime family. This new daily podcast examines breaking news and analyzes the biggest questions facing the country. Can the former president, Donald Trump, get a fair trial? Can Trump be disqualified from the ballot? Can Joe Biden pardon his son, Hunter? Can Trump even pardon himself? We cover all the action every morning. Listen to America on Trial wherever you download your favorite podcasts. So unrestricted immigration 
this has been something that has divided the Republican Party. The Republican Party is divided in many ways, and perhaps this decade of reckoning among Republicans, particularly conservatives versus rhinos, or the based versus the squishes, as I like to call them, perhaps this is a good thing because it will help the Republican Party clarify what are our values, what is our purpose as a political apparatus, what do we believe government should be doing for our society, what do we want our society to be, how do we define human flourishing. So maybe this this tension between these two wings of the Republican Party and conservative movement, maybe it's a good thing. But it brought to my mind this weekend one of the most controversial things that President Trump has ever said. This was before he was president, of course, but I'm sure you remember this clip. He got so much flack during his campaign for, during his original campaign in 2015, for calling for a moratorium on immigration from Muslim countries until government officials can, quote, figure out what the heck is going on. This was at a time, of course, we were seeing a lot of lone wolf attacks, both in the United States and in Europe, committed by radical Islamists in the name of jihad. And this was Trump's official statement on it. Take a look at this. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on? <laughs> we have no choice. We have no choice. So what's funny about that is if you read if you read the statement, he's actually reading his own press release out loud. The statement was released first just as a two-paragraph statement, and then he came out and read the statement that they had prepared for the press, which is kind of funny. But what's funny is his ad lib. If you go to the text of the prepared statement, it just says, until our elected representatives can figure out what's going on. And yet, President Trump, in all of his wit and political savvy, added it, until our political representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. That, I think, is one of the reasons why Donald Trump won in 2016, but it kind of makes you miss this, right? This was a conversation that we were actually having between eight and 10 years ago because we recognized, based on the manifestation of some of this immigration, these lone wolf terror attacks, that we were facing a problem, a problem that we hadn't faced in the United States before, a problem that might have been of our own doing because we changed the policy that allowed this. And what's interesting is there were a few people at the time, and the three people that I'm thinking of uh, among conservatives are Tucker Carlson, Stephen Miller, and Ryan Gerdusky. These were three individuals who at the time were calling for a zero immigration policy, which was, a, it's, a, it's a radical shift in the immigration policy that Republicans have embraced for the last 50, 60, 70 years. Usually Republicans are pro-immigration, but pro-legal immigration. That's been like the party platform since I was born. But Tucker Carlson, Stephen Miller, and Brian Gerdusky were among the few conservatives that were like, no, you know what? I think we need to stop immigration to our country because right now it's causing problems. It's causing a crisis of employment because immigrants, particularly illegal immigrants, are taking low-wage low jobs that are leaving American citizens out of work. This is before Trump took office and unemployment went, uh, the unemployment numbers went down so far. And they were talking about how this unlimited immigration, particularly from non-Western nations, would cause a demographic shift 
in our country. And that phrase, demographic shift, just set off the left, absolutely set off the left. They're like, are you talking about white replacement theory? Are you a racist? You don't want brown and black people in our country. And they went absolutely, the left just went ballistic, ballistic. Even though Tucker Carlson, Stephen Miller, and Ryan Gruduski, all three adequately explained at the time, it has nothing to do with skin color. It has to do with cultural beliefs. And not just cultural beliefs that aren't based in values. We're not talking about, oh, what color outfit is stylish in your home country? How do you wear your hair? Not things that don't matter. Not things that are just a matter of, oh, that's what you're used to looking at. But values. Do you have Christian values? Do you have Judeo-Christian values? Do you believe in the dignity of life? Do you recognize the value of women? Or do you think they're property? Do you think it's appropriate to murder your daughter if a man rapes her? That would be honor killing in the Muslim religion, something that the Muslim, the religion of Islam actually endorses. And they pointed out that this, this demographic shift was going to be a cultural shift because when you have this huge influx of immigrants coming to our country that don't believe in American values, that don't believe, and when I say don't believe in American values, it's not just our government values. Our government is built on Judeo-Christian values, something that we've talked about at length in the past few weeks. And when you have these very religious Muslims coming to our country from countries that are anti-American, they're not democracies, they're not republics, they have a different worldview, they have a different set of values, and when there's no assimilation in American values or Judeo-Christian morals, then you have, well, exactly what we're seeing now, exactly what we're seeing. We're finally seeing the manifestation of it, and yet a lot of conservatives and Republicans at the time, even as Tucker and Stephen and Ryan were warning about this based on the policies at the time, a lot of conservatives and Republicans stayed quiet because they were afraid of those insults and ad hominems that the left was lobbing at, at the few conservatives who were speaking up about this. You, of course, remember all the vitriol that Trump got even for this statement. He's an Islamophobe. He's a xenophobe. This is going to cause hate crimes against Muslims. I mean, the left just whipped themselves into a froth over this, even though the majority, the vast, vast, vast majority of Trump's base aren't racist. They're not bigots. They're not Islamophobes, they're not xenophobes, they're not whatever else the left accused them of. They just recognized that this was a problematic policy for the United States. So I pulled some data to show exactly what has changed demographically in our country over the past couple of decades. And the numbers I found to be, I verified these numbers. These, these numbers are all pull, pulled from Pew Research and the Cato Institute and the, uh, the U.S. Census because I, I was double and triple checking these numbers because it's pretty hard to believe that this many immigrants live in our country and the number of immigrants that don't share American values is growing exponentially without any effort by the American public to assimilate these people into our culture. Again, which results in exactly what we've seen this weekend, which is these protests of these people that are, that are sympathizing with terrorists against Americans and against the Jewish state of Israel. So I'm gonna read you some of these uh, figures in a moment. Okay, so let me pull some of these statistics and for anyone wanting to verify them yourself, they're from Pew Research, they're from the Cato Institute, they're from the US uh, government, from the census. This is from the Census Bureau too. So in 2021, that's the latest by the way, also a caveat, the latest full immigration data is from 2021. 2022 data is uh, not yet fully complete and fully reported. So 
We know it's gotten a lot worse under Joe Biden, but uh, for the purposes of being entirely accurate with fully reported data, we're going to be talking mostly through 2021. In 2021, there were 45.3 million immigrants that lived in the United States. Now, the word immigrants in this case means both legal immigrants and non-legal immigrants. So it's not just illegal aliens. These are also people who might have permanent residency. They might have green cards. And they might be U.S. citizens who are naturalized U.S. citizens. They still count as immigrants for the purpose of that definition if they were not born in this country, but they immigrated here at some point. So 45.3 million people, that is 13.6% of the total U.S. population, just for anybody that's wondering. Uh, it's about, it's hovering about where the record high has been. It's, it's about tied for the record high that we've ever seen. There's been a couple of other points in history where we've had that high of a percentage of immigrants. Um, in 2021, there were about one and a half million new people that came to the United States. Again, some legally, some illegally. Uh, I'm not trying to conflate the two, but I'm not going to caveat it every time. I'm talking about both because for the purposes of this discussion, we're actually not talking about the process of whether you jumped the border or the process of whether you applied for a green card. We're talking about importing completely different values from a completely different place to the uh, American to America. So one and a half million people, new people came to live in the United States in 2021. And this this includes overall, by the way, that 45 million number. The federal government, and this is this is the piece of data that I question the most of everything that I'm going to read you, estimates that there's about 11 and a half million illegal immigrants in our country as of 2018. I would contest that number. I've seen other estimates that sometimes come close to doubling that number. That would be the number that I would that I would be the most skeptical of. But just for the purposes of this conversation, the vast majority of the immigrants that we are discussing are here legally, whether it's permanent or temporary, they are here legally. So specifically, Muslim immigrants, we're gonna talk about Muslims, even though this is gonna make the left pull their hair out. I don't know why it would. This is just, this is objective truth. If you read the Quran and you read the Bible, the values are very different. That's simply the facts of the matter. Muslims would tell you that their values are very different than Christian values, of course they would. That's, that's one of the reasons they hate Jews. That's one of the reasons they hate Americans. This is, this is not a controversial thing to say. Don't let, the, don't let the left rile you up or pretend that this is Islamophobic. It's not. It's just, it's just uh, the fact of the matter. And our nation, while we enjoy the liberty to worship the God that we choose, there's no mandate that says you have to be a Jew or you have to be a Christian. There's no mandate that says you can't be a Muslim. And that's good. Religious liberty is good and proper. Um, that doesn't mean that we have to restructure our culture or restructure our governmental apparatus to embrace values that are counter to the founding of this country. So that's where the, it becomes more nuanced than perhaps the left can handle. Maybe they just don't want to handle it because it is counter to their overall political narrative. But Muslim immigrants, um, so of U.S. Muslim adults, Total U.S. Muslim adults, 58% of them are immigrants. 58% of U.S. Muslim adults in this country today uh, were born in a different country. That's a pretty significant number. So six out of every 10 Muslims that you meet were not born in America. Even if they're U.S. citizens today, maybe they're naturalized, maybe they have green cards, maybe they're permanent residents, maybe they're on work visas, maybe, maybe they're illegal. But six out of 10 of them um, came to America from some other country. And this is largely due to the immigration law that was changed in 1965. It was called the Immigration and Nationality Act. 
And it essentially allowed for more immigration from Asia, Africa, and other countries that weren't just European countries. Prior to 1965, the majority of immigrants to our country, and there were times in our country where there was a large influx of immigrants that would come at all at the same time, but they were largely from European countries. They were largely from Western countries. So the culture was very similar to American culture because American culture was also largely imported from the Western world in Europe. But 1965 is kind of this marker when we changed our immigration policy and it allowed for people from other cultures to come to our country much more easily. It lowered these barriers. So of the Muslim immigrants in our country, so remember, of total Muslim adults, six out of 10 came from another country. They were born in another country. Of these Muslim immigrants who came from another country, 56% of them have arrived since the year 2000. So we're not, suddenly we're not talking about 1965 anymore. We're not talking about, we're not talking about decades and decades ago. This is just within the last 23 years. 56% of Muslim immigrants have come to the United States in the past 20, well, 22 years and 10 months, we'll say. 22 years in 10 months. And then you have second generation. So if you are an immigrant and you come here to the United States and you have a child, you are considered a first generation American if you say become a naturalized citizen. And your child, who is an American citizen at birth, if they're born here in America, becomes a second generation, a second generation American. They're not, they're not an immigrant because they were born here. So second generation Americans make up 18% of the U.S. Muslim adult population, which means that of the six of 10 Muslim adults in the United States who were born somewhere else, that means an additional two out of 10 Muslim adults are the children of the immigrants who came, were born in another country and came here. So all of this is to say, a lot of the Muslims in the United States haven't been here very long and came from other countries where the culture is built on a worldview and a religious ideology that it sometimes is in direct contradiction to American government and the Judeo-Christian culture that we enjoy. And I know some people are gonna write to me and say, well, we live in a post-Christian culture here in the United States, and that's true, that is true. Um, maybe a topic for a whole other episode. However, our government is still based on the idea that what is right and what is wrong is as defined by Judeo-Christian morals. So then we have, the total number of Muslims here in the United States, which we're going to talk about in just a second. Okay, so I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you, but I find this to be very interesting because it informs why cities, for example, like Dearborn, Michigan, we showed that video from Dearborn, Michigan last week on the show, it was this enormous auditorium filled, filled to the rafters with quote-unquote Palestinian protesters. They were there for solidarity with the Palestinians, but it was really just a pro-Hamas, pro-terrorism rally, and there was such a huge amount of people for the Midwest. Well, Dearborn, Michigan has the highest percentage of Muslim population of any city in the country, or not even any city, any state in the country. They have the highest concentration of Muslim population. So it's not exactly an extrapolation for us to observe that where there are pockets of Muslim immigrants, the worldview and the value system is not only different, but sometimes in contradiction of what we know to be American values or sometimes what we know to be morally correct, which is you don't support terrorism, you don't rape women, you don't behead babies, you don't kidnap elderly people and then murder them and upload it, the video to Facebook so that their grandchildren see it first on social media. You'd think that would be baseline everywhere, but apparently it is not. So then we have the projection. 
what is going to happen if we continue this level of immigration over the next, well, now we're only seven years away from this. Pew Research did a population projection, and this is what they write. In the United States, for example, the population projections show that the number of Muslims will more than double over the next two decades, rising from 2.6 million in 2010 to 6.2 million in 2030, in large part because of immigration and higher than average fertility among Muslims. The Muslim share of the U.S. population, both adults and children, is projected to grow from 0.8% in 2010 to 1.7% in 2030, making Muslims roughly as numerous as Jews or Episcopalians are in the United States today. And by the way, 81% of all Muslims in our country live, most of them live in just eight states, Texas, Illinois, Virginia, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, North Carolina, and Washington, D.C. So I think it's fair to sit here and say, well, unrestricted immigration and immigration that does not select based on values is a problem. It has caused a shift, a demographic or a cultural demographic shift in our country. It's not about the color of people's skin. It's not about black people or brown people. It is about what what the people coming to our country believe. And then, of course, this is compounded by um, our second point tonight, which is the fact that we make no effort as a country to assimilate immigrants into American culture. People that come to our country are no longer expected to learn to be American. They are no longer expected to, quote unquote, act like Americans, which, again, I know that's a phrase that triggers the left, but... They are no longer expected to value American values, to understand the Judeo-Christian principles that underpin everything about our legal system and our government structure. There's no, there's not even indoctrination in government-run schools anymore. And you know that this is a topic that I'm not going to let go. Our public school system was supposed to be a point of assimilation. It was supposed to be a point of indoctrination, indoctrination in American principles and Judeo-Christian principles. It was supposed to teach children, particularly immigrant children, but all American children, how to be American citizens, to understand and appreciate why our government was framed the way that it was on the values that it is, and it no longer, it no longer does this. So back in 2015, around the time that Trump made that statement, <laughs> a complete moratorium on Muslim integration until we figure out what the hell is going on. Those of us who made any comments like this, we if we had a conversation like this, I would have gotten a billion accusations of not only being Islamophobic and xenophobic, but also I would have been told these radical Islamists that commit acts of terror, these jihadists, don't represent your average Muslim. It's like two completely different religions. That's what the left would tell us, including some leftists or some Muslims who are very politically leftist. And this was a line that you would hear over and over and over. Jihadists and radical Islamists do not represent your average Muslim. It is like a separate religion. Again, I was called Islamophobic at the time for showing you studies that indicate that that's not true. I'm not saying every Muslim is a jihadist. Obviously not. No one would, no one of good faith and a more than an ounce of brain cells would assume as much. But studies indicate that the percentage of Muslims who are sympathetic to radical Islamists and jihadists is not a mere fraction. It's not a mere fringe. There are actually a significant percentage of particularly young Muslims who do sympathize with jihadism and terrorism. So quoting from Pew Research, you can go and look this up for yourself if you would like to confirm it. 
Media Matters talking to you. Pew Research poll from 2007. This is even this is even 15 years ago, so I imagine it's gotten worse. Found that 26% of young Muslims in America, this is just in America, believe that suicide bombings are justified. So think about you meet a millennial Muslim, one out of every four thinks that suicide bombing is justified. That's not a fringe percentage of Muslims. That's not a big differentiation between your quote unquote average Muslim and these radical jihadists. That's a significant ideological problem that exists in a significant minority of Muslims in America. In addition, this Pew Research poll found that uh, these views among young Muslims about suicide bombers were fairly static for Muslims in other country, other Western countries as well. 22% of young Muslims in Germany thought suicide bombings are justified. 29% of young Muslims in Spain and 42% of young Muslims in France believe that suicide bombings are justified. 42%. So almost one out of every two young Muslims in France thinks suicide bombings are justified. So this is starting to make a little more sense why we are facing what we're facing with these protests, these pro-Hamas protests that kind of caught us all off guard, but maybe it shouldn't have caught us off guard because this is a problem that has been building for quite some time, quite some time. Uh, A 2015 poll from the polling company found that 19% of Muslim Americans, that's two out of every 10 Muslims in America, say that violence is justified in order to make Sharia law, the law of the land in the United States, So think of two out of every 10 Muslims thinks it's okay to be violent towards you to make you adhere to Sharia law. Are we supposed to believe that this is a tiny fringe of Muslims or is this a cultural, religious, uh, religiously ideological difference between the Muslim population and a country like ours that embraces Judeo-Christian values? Again, doesn't mean that you can't come here and go to the mosque. Doesn't mean that you're not allowed to be Muslim in our country. You are, we have religious liberty. But to have an unrestricted number of people who have these beliefs come to our country and then for our country not to make any effort to assimilate them into American values is going to cause a cultural divide might be the tamest term that I can think of to describe it. 25% of Muslim Americans say that violence against Americans in the United States is justified as part of global jihad. Again, one out of four, one out of four. The numbers actually in Britain are even worse. So it wasn't just America that, it wasn't just in American cities that we saw all these protests pop up. They were uh, in London, in in Austria, in Germany, in France, and France especially. It was terrible. France France banned them and what happened, banned these pro-Palestinian protests. And Muslims just said, yeah, right. We have too large of a number of, of us against you for you to tell us what to do. And they turned out anyway because the religion of Islam is now the most practiced religion in France. The most practiced religion in France is the religion of Islam because they allowed an unlimited number of Muslims. Some of them came under the name of of refugee and it's changed the cultural demographic of their country. It's completely changed it, completely changed it. Um, In Britain, I'm trying to think of where, or I'm trying to find where this is. I have so many, I have so much data. A Pew Research poll from 2007 shows that 35% of young Muslims in Britain believe that suicide bombings are justified. That's a lot. The Federation of Student Islamic Studies ran a poll in 2005 that said about 20% of Muslim students in Britain would not report a fellow Muslim for planning a terror attack. 
An ICM poll from 2016 found that two out of every three Muslims in Britain would not report a terror plot to the police. A policy exchange survey from 2016 also found that 48% of British Muslims would not report a person linked to terror. So I think we've established, I think we've established the fact that the, the radical jihadists that were committing lone wolf attacks in our country five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago, and in Europe at that time, weren't necessarily the fringe minority that they were made out to be. And maybe maybe they're the fringe minority in the sense that they it's a fringe minority that commits those acts, but the ideology that motivated them to commit those acts, uh, a much larger percentage of Muslims, even if it is still a minority, it is a significant minority of Muslims in Western countries, including the United States of America, are sympathetic to those views. That's a significant problem. The left tried to shut us down at the time when we, when we began to mention this several years ago by telling us that we were bigots, but wouldn't it be interesting to have a poll at any of these pro-Hamas rallies, these quote-unquote solidarity with Palestinians, were you born in America, are you an immigrant, and ask them about their views on jihad and suicide bombings. That would be extremely fascinating. So then, of course, we come to the next stage of what has happened, and that is leftist brainwashing and enabling. So we talked about this last week. We don't even have to go in depth in this one, but organizations like Black Lives Matter or Students for Palestine on college campuses, these groups are groups that only serve as a front. The Black Lives Matter movement doesn't care about black lives. As you know, they are radical Marxists. They admit they're trained Marxists. They stand with Palestinian terrorists, with these Hamas terrorists. And the left ignores that, even when all the evidence shows that these groups are tainted or not even infiltrated, they were created with this poisonous ideology. The left just buys into it. They just use these groups for their own political agenda. And when they become mainstream, it's very dangerous to the United States. The Black Lives Matter movement is probably the best example of this in the past few years, but it's coupled with the left at the same time, constantly turns to us as conservatives and Republicans and calls us Nazis, calls us anti-Semitic, calls us white supremacists, calls us white nationalists, calls us racists over and over and over again when it's not true. And of course, what happens when someone makes an accusation repeatedly and constantly and it's not true is it has the boy who cried wolf effect. People stop listening. The terms lose their impact. People are, the, the population is desensitized to what those words should mean because the left is trying to redefine them. They're trying to draft off of the horrible implications of the reality of the definition of those words and apply the implications to people who don't embody the definition of what the words actually mean. Like I said, calling mega Nazis is a perfect example. Of course, Trump supporters aren't Nazis. We all know that, so the term Nazi has lost its clout. We don't think of it for what it really is. And when this happens, when a, when a population becomes desensitized to this, well, you also stop noticing when significant pockets of actual bigotry, actual hate, and actual anti-Semitism begin to fester in the United States. So these pro-Hamas um, solidarity with Palestine protesters are actually embracing a Nazi ideology. They actually are part or supportive of a genocidal death cult against the Jews. That's Nazi stuff. And yet you can't even point out that it's Nazi stuff because the left has been calling everyone that they don't like Nazis for so many years that the term has lost its clout. It's like when you make a, it's like, it's like a Jussie Smollett, right? When he, when he staged his fake hate crime, one of the points that I made at the time was, you know, he actually hurt the victims of real hate crimes because there are real hate crimes. 
And yet now, anytime that someone claims to be the victim of a hate crime, we're all going to go, well, are you though? Or are you a liar like Jesse Smollett? It ruined, it, it, it takes away the credibility of real accusations, which is exactly what the left did with the word Nazi. They took away the credibility of the word by you misusing it intentionally to insult their political opposition. And the result was maybe a lot of people didn't notice when real Nazi ideology had taken a hold of a huge number of people in our country. So then of course we have the last element of this, which is not talked about a lot, but it should be because it's significant and that's prisoner swaps. So this happens in, in all countries do this. The United States does this all the time. Uh, Israel has done this when they hold, when we use Israel as an example here, because there's a real concrete example of, uh, based on the terror attack that just happened in Israel. Uh, a couple years ago, Israel made a prisoner swap with Hamas or with the Palestinian Authority, and they gave back some Hamas terrorists in exchange for Israeli prisoners. And during this prisoner exchange, I mean, one of the terrorists that Israel gave back was one of the ones who helped plan these attacks. They just gave him back. And this, this is always the case. And it's, it's, it's a little bit of a catch-22 because Western nations value human life we, we, we'd rather have the quote-unquote bad end of a deal in just in a, in a narrow way. We'd rather say, yes, we will give you 10 prisoners and you give us one rather than leave our one to die. We'd rather get the, the worst end of a deal in and of itself. But the problem with that, and this happened in Afghanistan as well, and it ha it's happened with Russia, is the problem with that is when you give back terrorists who hate you and want to kill you, they're just going to go back to being terrorists who hate you and want to kill you. But now, instead of just having a bad ideology while sitting in prison, they're going to have the means to actually do it. And so we need to, recon we need to, we need to reorient our thinking on how we can preserve the dignity of the human life when Western, when Western people are prisoners of either bad regimes or terrorist organizations without giving them ammunition to kill and harm many more people by giving them their terrorists back. So these five things, these five things, unrestricted immigration, no effort to assimilate immigrants, no indoctrination in our public school, uh, the, left, the left brainwashing people on these organizations, these activist groups that are never what they say they are, combined with this boy who cried wolf effect where they desensitize society to evil in a sense. And then these prisoner swaps have created this environment where we are just shocked. I mean, I was shocked in New York City this weekend to be like 10,000 people in Times Square on one day, sympathetic of Hamas? Like, of all, of all the, I mean, this is like ISIS stuff that Hamas has done. ISIS-level stuff. And yet, these, these Palestinian protesters are just like, we're occupied. We're an open-air prison. This is, this is justified. Like, what on earth could justify the beheading of a baby? Like, pure evil. Absolute, absolute pure evil. But we do have a choice as a society as a country, we do have a choice to say, okay, well, we have a problem. Let's recognize it as a problem. Let's diagnose how this came to be. Let's accurately pinpoint where we went wrong and let's change our policy so that we don't continue to suffer from this. Because imagine if this continued for the next 20 years. What's the United States of America gonna look like? What's it gonna look like when it's not 10,000 people in Times Square, it's 100,000 people in Times Square? What's it gonna look like when 
I know we live in a post-Christian society in the United States. I agree with that, actually. What's going to happen when we're not only a post-Christian society, but we are a Muslim society? And again, the left is going to sit here and they're going to claim that I'm Islamophobic. I don't even know what that word's supposed to mean. I don't care if you call me Islamophobic. What I'm doing is recognizing that what is in the Quran is very different and often contradictory of what is in the Bible. What is in the Bible, the Judeo-Christian morals and principles in the Bible are what our country is based on culturally and governmentally. And you bring in a huge number of people who not only disagree with that, but actively think they are religiously and morally justified to harm you and kill you if you do not reject your principles and values and morals and worldview and religion and adhere to theirs, yeah, I think that's a little bit of a problem. And no, it doesn't make any of us xenophobic to point that out. In fact, it makes us responsible American citizens. Responsible American citizens. There's a bill in Congress right now that would ban Gazan refugees from coming to America. And the fact that we even have to think about this for two seconds shows how off track we have gotten with our immigration policy. Of course we should ban Gazan refugees from coming to America. Of course we should. That's so obvious for many reasons. First of all, they will be highly infiltrated with Hamas terrorists. Second of all, even if they are not officially Hamas terrorists, the people of Gaza, you can argue that they're the victim of brainwashing, and they are, of course. We've seen the videos of the children being brainwashed, but regardless of whether they're the victims of brainwashing, they are brainwashed, and they do hate us, and they voted for Hamas to govern them. Why would we bring them to America when they did what they did to Israel and would also do what they did to Israel, to America, if they had the opportunity. Of course, this bill in Congress should be passed. Tell your representative to vote in favor of it and not to be a coward. If there's any additional analysis that I have left to the side, let me know. I think that this is not just a problem to discuss for fun. I don't think this is just, oh, this is the news story that's been dominating for the last 10 days. This is a serious issue in the United States of America. We need to, we need to be very clear-minded in how we analyze this and figure this out, or it's going to cause much, much worse problems in the future. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. 